0: Thank you. I am Daniel Budd, one of the pastors here, and it's my joy to be with you this morning. Have you ever wondered why is it so difficult for us to learn a new language? Uh, um, it's always they say it's easier if you learn it by seven because then you don't speak the new language with an accent. And it's obviously that I learned my English after I was seven. I really appreciate appreciate all, um, your patience with me and your effort to understand me. One of the scariest things when you come into a new country like the United States from outside is when the phone rings and you pick up the phone and you think, I, I'm not sure how fast, but I, my guess is I'm not going to understand much of what the other person is going to say. And then you talk and you are confused and you have to say, would you please say that again? Or can you use other words? Can you slow down? I remember uh, going to a store the f- first time. Go- you go to a deli and you look at the ham. And I, I said, I want this specific you know, a half a pound. And the lady looked confused. I looked again and, and I pronounced it again very clear looking at her eyes. And she was even more confused. And then I figured that I have to point to exactly the ham that I want. And by that time, there was a longer line behind me. So it was a lot of embarrassment. But it happens even when you go to a different country. Like, let's say, you go to Paris. You go to a restaurant. You want uh, certain things. You know, I think that everybody, when we go outside, we like uh, a menu with pictures, right? You want to say, this is what I want. This, this picture pictures right here, right here. Because you say something and the, the waiter says, what? What? Um, so you never know, yes, you never know. But if you go once time, it's fine. But if you are here, imagine going for me the second time in the same store, the deli, and looking at the same woman, and she was anxious and confused, and I started to be anxious too. So what are we going to do now, right? Language is is tricky because it pushes us, it pushes us uh, out of our comfort zone, and. In a way, language is used uh, to bless us because we can communicate. And every time we can communicate and understand, we can do things together. And we will see this morning how God uses language in a different way than we, than we do. And not only language, but power and access to technology. So I invite you to read with me um, the first nine verses of Genesis chapter 11, which is the, stu- the, the Tower of Babel, that story. And it's basically building the kingdom of men there and God's answer to that. So follow with me on the screen. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used bricks instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to the city to see the city and the tower the people were building. Because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. I think it's very easy to see that the first four verses is about the kingdom of man. It's about what man is doing. And once the Lord comes down to see it's about His kingdom and the correction. And the change that God brings into our own world. You see, I think there are four things... There are many, but I think we can focus on four major things in that story. It's the story of how we build our own kingdom and how we build that kingdom without God. First, we say one language. The whole earth had one language. And linguists agree that we started with one language in the beginning. But language, as much as it is a blessing, if you are mean or if you want to use it for your own gain... You can use it negatively, you can use it to curse others, you can, do, you can use it to, to put down others. And in Ukraine and in Russia, I remember there's this battle. How many people in Ukraine speak Russian? And then it's used to advance your own kingdom. So we can use language, you know, which is like the Russian and the red one, to build your own kingdom. But people also move eastward. They not only speak one language in the Old Testament, in the story, they move eastward. And east, moving east, at least in the first few chapters, is always negative. Remember, Adam and Eve, they were in the Garden of Eden. They fell into sin and they were cast out and they moved east of the Garden. The east gate of the Garden of Eden was the one that was protected by an angel so they cannot come back. Then Cain, and after he killed his brother Abel, he moved east to the city of Nod. And then later on, Lot, if you remember, he moved east to Sodom. It's always a negative connotation. But remember, a plain, they find a plain, and they call it Shinar, which is basically in today's Iraq. And it's east of the river Tigris. And uh, earlier in chapter 10, it says that they settled in the area of what we call Babylonia. In Babylon, and it could be in this area, east of Tigris, in today's Iraq. So that's one language, right? The kingdom of man speaking one language, but they have a plan. They say, because we speak like one English, let's make bricks. There were no stones, but only clay in that area. It's very watery. It's very flat. And they didn't have the stones that they had maybe west where they left. So then they begged them totally, says... Why baking versus sun-dried? And one explanation that makes sense is they were thinking that since God destroyed the whole earth through flood, because he was upset, the second time he's going to judge the world is going to be through fire. So they said, we have to build something that will stand against God's fire and judgment. So therefore, they said, we are going to bake the bricks and make them fireproof, sort of and we are going to use tar for mortar which is today's asphalt right boils up like oil or hot pitch and once you do that once you take those bricks that are baked in the oven and you uh, you roll them in tar the bricks attach very well and they make a one almost like a one block they are basically building in the wilderness where there is only sand they are building a strong rock it's a tower and uh, philo one of the historians said that each man wrote his name on a brick before building it. Remember that ancient practice, we do it even today. Maybe remember there was not long ago a crystal cathedral that was built, you know, and everybody said, Well, buy a brick, right, and we'll put your name in that. And they found this wall in, in Iraq, and you see there are some scribbles on every brick, you know, it could be the name of the person who put it there. So they have one language, they have one plan. They say, Let's make bricks, and then they have one city. They say, Let's build a city for ourselves. Let's build it for us, for our name. A city that displays human pride. A city that will show how technological we can be, how advanced we are in chemistry and in all of these things, in, in medicine. It was basically a secular city they were building, a city without God. What's a secular society? A society where the human being is the measure of all things. It's a society in which we define the value of each other. And we define what's right or wrong, because there's no power, higher power above us, to tell us anything. Have you heard of this term, megalomania? Megalomania. If you look in the dictionary, basically, the megalomania is defined like this. is a psychopathological condition characterized by delusional fantasies of power, relevance, omnipotence and self-inflated self-esteem. And I lived under one of these dictators, usually the powerful people on earth. They are megalomaniacs. And one of the dictators was my president and he built this building. He called the, I mean, my palace, you know, and it was a huge building and it's right downtown our capital city. And it's so big that the people say it's the largest, maybe the second or third largest building, civilian building in the world after the Pentagon. And why did he build it? Because he said, we want to build the boulevard of the victory of socialism looking at my palace in the middle. 20,000 people worked there and 700 architects were involved. Beautiful hallways, exquisite, you know, a lot of money went in those things. You can hold the largest meeting on earth in that building because you have enough room for any conference you want. But that was his dream to say, this is how I will mark my place in history. People will remember me. And this is true in North Korea and many other places. We think that we have to build cities for us. That we have to build some things that people will remember. And God says, not so. That's the kingdom of God. And it can be a family that we think this is for me. It can be even the church that we say this is for me. It can be a business that you say this is a business for me. It can be relationships that you seek only for us. So they say, let's build a city for ourselves. Let's build it for ourselves. And then they say, let's put a tower in the city that reaches to heavens. Have you heard of this term, ziggurat? These were the towers in that ancient time. They were very tall buildings. And somebody tried to draw the Tower of Babel. It might look like this. Seven levels, very tall, very high, made of all of these burned bricks you know, in the oven. And uh, if you look at the height, it could be about 300 feet high. And that's the Tower of Babel. And then maybe the highest pyramid is the other one. So it's not, it's not so small of a building. If you compare the area, this right in the middle is the American football field. So that's the American football field. And on top of it is the pyramid. I mean, is the, the Tower of Babel. And you see how much, how large it is. And the idea at that time is, and they even found one. They recently uncovered one in Iraq under the sand and stuff. And it's very much like that. Burn bricks and stuff like that. And people thought, okay, this is how you relate to God. You build a tower like this, a ziggurat, and not only in the Middle East, not only in Iraq, but also in Central America and all over, all cultures, you find this way of understanding that the gods are up high. So you have to build something to show your power and to reach to the gods and to tell people, I can build the religion of myself. I can define what it is. I can define the parameters and the, the, the morality But the idea was that even here they said, this is basically the gate of the gods. Here heaven and earth meet and people are going to meet God. And the gods are going to come down. And a medieval representation looks like this of the Tower of Babel, right? But the ziggurat as an idea is basically saying, we can do it. We people, we don't need God. We can do without God. We can build societies. The Nazis are the same. The communists are the same. They said, we can build a society without God. We can make a name for ourselves. And otherwise, if we don't make a name and if we don't stick together, we will all be scattered. And you say, what's wrong with being scattered, right? It's not so wrong. But if you remember, the first cultural mandate to the first couple was this. Be fruitful, increase in number, and fill the earth. Fill the earth. That was the first, what we call the cultural mandate given to all the people through our first couple. But then the second, the second family, the second first family, Noah and his wife, they received the same thing be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. This was just in chapter 9. We are in chapter 11 today. And it's repeated twice be fruitful and multiply and repopulate the earth. God is saying, now that I clean it through the flood, repopulate. And they say, we don't want that. Who is God to tell us what to do? We have one language. We have a plan, we have a city, and we build a tower because we don't want to be scattered. We want to be powerful. We want to stay together. We want to be the most powerful people on earth. And God said, not so, not so. This is the kingdom of man. You are building your own kingdom. You are building your own kingdom. One language, one plan, one city, one tower. The kingdom of man displays, in a way, our pride and our natural inclination for rebellion against God. So in in chapter 11, verse 5, is God's response to men's building of their own kingdom. It's basically the kingdom of God comes and the Lord comes down to see the city and the tower the people were building. And what's maybe the most humiliating discovery for the people is that it depends on one's point of view, right? This is what I mean. The people said, we can climb up to heaven. I can build this family without God. I can marry whoever I want. And I can be a happy spouse without God. I even can have kids without having to marry. Who tells me that I need to marry? I can be successful in my career, right? I can be successful without God. I can build a business without God. I can build something in a city of human achievement without God. And God says, really? I can't see your tower from up there. You think that you've reached me? Let me come down to you. I need to come down. I need to stoop down to see what you're doing. In other words, they were, you know, Babylon, it means the gate of the God. They were trying to say, we have found the secret. We have built a religion. And we know how to get to God. And that's what every religion will tell you. We know the secret if you want to go to God. And God says, no. The only thing you have created is Babel, which is confusion. I don't need to confuse your language to understand that. But your tower... Your city is so small that I have to come down to see what you are doing. So one language, he says, God, is confusion. You thought that you have one language, and you only build confusion. You have a plan. That's good. Bricks are good. But remember, bricks come out of my clay, right? Who made the clay for your bricks? Who made the fire in the first place? Your ambition is built upon my work. And then he says, because you are creative, it's not because you are creative, it's because my gift. I gave you the creativity. Even the creativity to build the tower is my gift. And then if you think of one city, yeah, tis- cities can be places of refuge and justice. They can be uh, centers of cultural, artistic, technological, spiritual growth and development. Cities can be a positive. But make sure that you know all dreams of fame apart from me apart from me, are short-lived. Because in the end, it doesn't matter how many cities you build, how many palaces you build, I give eternal fame. There's nothing that nobody can take you from the moment you die on into the eternity. If your name is not written in my book, it's not written in any city. It doesn't, mean, it doesn't matter anything that is on a stone, in a brick, in a wall. If It's not written in the book of the Lamb, of, of life of the Lamb of God. And that's what it's important. I give that name to you. And through baptism, Norma today received this name, a beloved, adopted child of God. Through baptism, these children were called. These are mine, God claims them. And God says, Leave for me, forget your dreams and your kingdom. Build my kingdom. One hour. Yeah, this was their hope for meaning, for significance, for even immortality and salvation. They thought that if, uh, if we have this tower, we don't need anything because we we'll reach the heavens. We'll build our own thing, our own system. And God says, not so, not so. And the solution is not to strive harder, you see. The solution is not to build a higher tower, to say, we'll find the technology to go even higher, but to abandon the plan completely. Don't try to reach God by our own efforts. He says they are always going to be futile. There's nothing you can do to prove God that you are worth saving that your word to be written, that your name should be there in the book of life. Except, like Norma said, I trust in Christ Jesus for my salvation. I trust in him for forgiveness of sins. And I trust in him to take me one day home and be with him and live with me eternally. Not in a human city, but in paradise. So, the kingdom of God. The kingdom teaches us so many things. But I will say, you know, there's something that changes in the New Testament. All of these things have been done by God in Genesis 11. But when Christ comes, I see the kingdom, the kingdom is something else. He says to us, Christ, when he comes in the New Testament, he says, the kingdom has already come. The kingdom is among you and is even within you. What does it mean? Well, first of all, it means... In terms of the language, the Holy Spirit, if you think about it, reverses the confusion at Babel on the day of Pentecost. This is what people say. Utterly amazed, they ask, aren't all of these speaking, looking at the disciples, Galileans? Aren't they from Galilee? So how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? And there were people from all parts of the world, Parsons, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, and you see Cretans and Arabs. And we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. And, and God says, you know what? You wanted to have one language and you build your own kingdom. And what I am doing at the Pentecost is, I am bringing every language, people from every language, every nation together in my kingdom. Where through my spirit, they are going to be one. One baptism, one Lord, one church, one kingdom. The kingdom of God. So that's what he says with the languages. I will bring the languages together. Remember, he says, go in the world and make disciples of all nations. That's an addition to the cultural mandate. Go and find people of every language. And not only that, but he says, I will give you a pure language. And this is a prophecy in Zaharia, for when, For then will I restore the people a pure language. You know, when Norma came out of the water... What she meant is, I am going to follow and walk in God's spirit. A spirit that will give me a new language. The same, la- the same tongue that used to curse people and put them down is going to build them up and bless them. And that's what Jesus says, you know. If you have enemies, pray for them. If somebody persecutes you, pray for them and bless them. And bless those who are in, e- uh, evil and mean to you. And Norma is basically saying the same thing. From now on, I have a new language. And not only a language, but I have a new plan. I bear God's name. I don't need to build a name for myself, Norma says. It's a name that will not last. But I am a child of God. From now on to eternity, nothing will separate me from God. And I don't need a human city. I don't need to build my own kingdom, my own own power, my own way, my own business, the way I want. I can trust in God that He will give me what I need for me and for my family and for my future. And as for a city, it is in the Revelation that Christ says, I am coming down with my city. Remember John in the Revelation? It's the city that comes from God to us. It's not we are building it up. And it's a city in which the tree of life is and all of the nations are there. Because there is the city and the water and the river that is there for the healing of all nations. All languages will be healed. And we are going to all speak Dutch. no. <laughs> We are going to speak that new language. It's going to be a pure language, right? It's going to be a pure language, the city. And the tower, he says, you don't need the tower because I meet you at the cross. Don't try to, to, to prove to me anything because in the cross of Christ, I come to you and I stoop down to you and I invite you to come and walk with me and let me save you, let me forgive you, let me clean your tongue, let me clean your mind of all idolatry, let me build you up into this city. This community. And in the the end, he says, you too are living stones. You don't need stones to build something for you, for your name, for your posterity. You are a living stone in a living temple that I am building. And Christ is the cornerstone. And you are part of that project. You are God's people. The church, the body of Christ, and the bride of Christ. And one day, as a bridegroom, I'm going to come and take all of you to be with me. The kingdom of God is visible in our language, in our ambitions, in our hopes and dreams, and in how we love, how we love God, and how we love each other. And he calls us to leave our ziggurats, our towers, our plans, our kingdoms, and to follow him, to embrace his dream, his plan, to gather all people of all language, all nations together into one body, which is the church universal, and to live with us as king. In that city, he says, there is no going to be need for moon or or sun because the Lord himself, the Lamb of God, sacrificed for your sin and for my sin, will be our light. And he will be our light forever. A renewable light that will never go down. Something that we will enjoy forever. So I invite you this morning to join Christ. To come to him. To say yes to his dream. To say no to your kingdom. And to say, I embrace your dream. I embrace your city. I embrace your tower, the cross. And I embrace your way to salvation. And I'm not anymore building my own kingdom. Because I want to be part of the kingdom of God. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ. For his spirit that is still alive today. And in baptism, we were reminding this morning how much you love us. And how much you want us to be part of your kingdom. So, may we even today rededicate our lives to build your kingdom, your name, your glory on earth. And may you help us in word and in deed to reflect that we are children of the whole, the holy God, the most high God, and that we are indeed building your kingdom, your church. In Christ's name, we pray all of these things. Amen. Would you please stand and receive God's greeting. As we depart from here, if you need somebody to pray with, please use the prayer room. Otherwise, may the grace of God, may the power of the Father and the love of of Jesus Christ the Son and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you in this coming week as you go and serve Him and build His kingdom. Amen. You may go in peace.